Hi, I'm Tom. Welcome to Pursuing the Muse. Today I have Steve Dawson joining me to talk about his career both as a musician and as a songwriting instructor at the Old Town School of Folk Music. Steve graduated from Berklee College of Music and moved to the Chicago music scene. He formed such bands as Stump the Host, Dolly Varden, and Funeral Bonsai Wedding, in addition to his own output as a solo artist. Today he'll talk about his approach to songs, which includes a special deep dive into the lead track off his most recent album, At the Bottom of a Canyon in the Branches of a Tree. Without further delay, here's Steve. We are live with Steve Dawson. I am Tom Compton. This is Pursuing the Muse. Uh, very excited to talk to uh, Steve today. Um, as a way of introduction, I will say that of the the many wonderful musicians who have agreed to, to talk to me with season one, I am uh, especially excited to talk to Steve. Um you, you, Steve is a musician in Chicago, as well as a, an instructor at the Old Town School of Folk Music, uh, teaches a songwriting class there. Um, just voluminous experience. And I, I'm going to say, Steve, that I've seen you live several times, and it's it's incredibly special. So I feel like, actually, I'm talking too much. You're here, and you're, you're wonderful, and I could go on for an hour. <laughs> just describing you to you but i feel like that would be a waste of of this wonderful moment that we have so uh, t- uh give me give me some background how did you get started writing songs uh, that's a good question let's see i i always loved music as far back as i can remember i think i, I in seventh grade i learned to play guitar in school in public school and the woman who was the teacher was super into songs. She was a huge John Denver fan. This would have been like the late 70s. Um, and she would talk about like, when he sings about sunshine on his shoulders, you can feel the sun on his shoulders, can't you? You know, it's like, and it just made me think about songs in a different way as in more than just like... Um, something 
that was cool to listen to on the radio and fun, but sound like that songs were important, I think. And then I started really identifying with some records that were more sort of personal, like uh, some Neil Young records and um, Bob Dylan and uh, and Paul Simon and James Taylor, people that were, and Joni Mitchell, people that were speaking about their own experiences in a really personal and poetic way. And that really, um, I think it kind of helped me along through the teen years. Like things were not good in my family, but I kind of, it felt like these were people were telling the truth and that it was speaking. I don't know, it was a, there was a truth telling thing going on that was really appealing. And I just wanted to do it. I just like, well, how like it, it meant so much to me that I, I I wanted to do what they did. I wanted to figure it out. And I think that's still the pursuit. I'm still wanting to figure it out. Getting a little closer every time, huh? Well, I don't know. So you get closer, then you get further away. You know, it's not like it's not, it doesn't seem like it's a steady steady path. It's it's more of an up and down, like a like a wave, like a sign okay. or something. And it sounds like one of the real appeals was the, the people you're talking about, kind of a Mount Rushmore level of songwriter, um, is the, the vulnerability. Yeah, yeah, sure, right. And with where you were at that point, and you're talking about, you, you know, your family situation, were you able to be vulnerable and kind of work out some stuff for yourself at that point? Oh, boy. I mean, it, as a teenager, everything is conf confusing. I, I mean, I, I know it provided comfort and, and gave me something to do and something to identify with. I don't know about... It just seemed to... I, the vulnerability part just seemed to be a natural piece of it. And I've, I've, I'm not a fan of music that has a lot of artifice. And that's probably why. Um, but I, I'm sorry, I don't even remember exactly your specific question, but I don't know that I was self-aware enough to know. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah, you're... I was just kind of grasping at straws and trying to figure it out. Sure. I mean, you know, those songs were terrible, but but it was, you know, clawing my way to try to figure out how to do it. Right. You got to get through a few bad ones to get to the good ones. Yeah. Many, many, many bad ones. <laughs> you know, I was, as I was getting ready for today, earlier this week, I was uh, kind of a little intimidated because you have such a long career and uh, you're a voluminous output and and where where you are teaching songwriting uh, it's it was very cool and then i realized oh my gosh steve has a book <laughs> it's true it's true and so i was like I've, before i talk to steve i've got to get this book and i've been like reading it the last few days and i i, I it has almost everything I could think to ask you. This, uh, I'm, I'm talking about Steve Steve Dawson and Mark Caro have co-written a book called Take It to the Bridge, 
And the parenthetical, although there aren't parentheses on the cover, is unlocking the great songs inside you. And in terms of who I envision the audience of this podcast being, this is like a Bible, you know, that kind of level of, (laughs) I I just loved this book. I I really had a hard time putting it down. I mean, a lot of the credit goes to Mark Caro. He conceived of the format and he posed the questions. Um, the back half, all the assignments are right out of my classes, so I that's that's all me. But the the whole setup and the whole first half of the book really is is Mark. And Mark now has a podcast where he he you know he's a great interviewer, and uh, you know you can tell just from the 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 way that he asks questions to me in the book and the way that he asks questions on his podcast. There's a real through line. And uh, yeah, he's very he's very good and very insightful. He seems to have an encyclopedic uh, yes. knowledge of music. Yes, he does. He's a music lover for sure. So I I don't know is that the right word encyclopedic? I don't. It's close. It's close. You you know what I mean, right? I think it's the word. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Thank you for uh, giving me that. All right. So to, you're you're. You went to um, Berkeley's College of Music, right? That's right. Yeah, yeah. Right out of high and, school. Yep. And how did is that still a part of what you do? Because it seems like that's that would be very that that's jazzy stuff, right? And you're you've moved away from jazz, but did it inform? Yeah, no, what you... I, I, I was never a jazz musician. I mean, I studied I studied jazz guitar with a guy in high school. And I was super into it, and I got into like Kenny Burrell and Wes Montgomery and and stuff like that. And I yeah, I tried to play like that, but it wasn't it wasn't really who I was. Um, but Berkeley, I guess, has a reputation for being a jazz school, but it's really not. It's a school of it's like a trade school for being a professional musician, hmm. and it sort of gives you tools to make a you know have a make a living is a i guess is is a a phrase i don't know if that's the right phrase but um but uh things i learned there that were useful were um compositional structure you know theory of chords how chords work together studying lots and lots and lots of songs and from everything from the you know the 1920s through the 1960s and 70s um yeah so i mean i realized while i was there it's like okay well i'm never gonna be a jazz guitar player um i meant i meant to be a songwriter so it it cemented that for me because i was still kind of at that point going like well i know i love music um but I don't know where I fit in. So it, it helped me f- sort of figure that out, I guess. Okay. Did you go right from uh, Boston to Chicago? I did, yeah, yeah. What I'm, prompted, what prompted I'm that? I'm sure because actually a friend of mine, a guy that I met in Boston, who's a Chicago musician and an artist, um, Nicholas Barron, um, I don't know if you know him. He's doing more painting now, but um, for years he was... Uh, doing music. He still does music. 
Um, but anyway, he his father lived in Chicago, so he he moved here. We were good friends in Boston, um, and we were just talking on the phone. And I was like, I can't afford to stay in Boston; it's too expensive. And the musician to gig ratio is very lopsided there because it's actually pretty small, and there's so mm. many musicians. Um, I was like, so you know, I'm if I have a a gig once a month, it's just not really going to be enough. And I don't really, I'd have to work a straight job all the time in order to pay rent. So he's like, you should move to Chicago. There's gigs all the time here. The rent's cheap. And uh, so I did. Okay. And then you've had a, a, a couple of bands, right? Stump the yeah. Host and yeah, Dolly yeah. Martin and... D does Dolly Varden still play, or is? Yeah, is we play. Uh, we just played this summer. Okay, we play that often, maybe once or twice a year. Everyone's pretty spread out now. Mm -hmm. And would uh, you say you've been mostly uh, a solo artist for the last decade or so? Or yeah, that's about right. The last Dolly Varden record was t was ten years ago, and um, and then. Yeah, and then right after that, a year later, I made the first Funeral Bonsai Wedding record. And then everything since then has been some version of a solo project of mine, yeah. Okay. And it seems like uh, now we're caught up, <laughs> I guess. I don't know. But um, to to move into, you've got the background, you've got, you know, band experience, and I know you came close to... I, I, uh, you had labels interested in both of the bands you've been in. Yeah, and Stump the Host. So that was that was born in like the late eighties, eighty eight. Um, that one got pretty close. We had a lot of interest, and um, I was sort of young and stupid, and the business was still pretty much the way like the old school version of the business like it hadn't it hadn't quite f fizzled you know there was still a lot of money from cds or cds actually that's wait a minute cds were just beginning but anyway it was still like they had a and r people and a and r guy was here in chicago saw his play was interested we got a publishing deal he was shopping us around. People were coming to see us. We went to New York to play. So it was like, kind of like the classic, you know, playing with labels situation. And we did get offered a deal from Zoo Records, which was a subsidiary of RCA. But the lawyer at the time was like, I don't know about this. And then the guy who was the A&R person for Zoo quit. And then the lawyer was like, if you don't have an A&R person going to bat for you, you're just going to get lost. It's going to be a real drag. So we so we didn't do that, which, I mean, I, you know, I always think, what would have happened had we done it? You don't, you just don't know. Mm. I kind of wish we would have, but I don't know. You can't, you can't go back in time, so. What year was that? Uh, probably 93. Two ninety two was the the zoo record year. 
Okay. And then Stuntos lasted, they made it like almost another year. We broke up and then we were, then we kind of made Dolly Varden out of the ashes of that band. So it was Diane and I, my wife and I were the singers in Stump the Host. And then we decided to make a new band. We auditioned drummers and, um, got Matt Toby, who's a great drummer, and wanted to make it, I don't know, maybe a little more rock. I don't know. I don't know what we were doing. And then by then, it was, by then it was the middle 90s, and like it was the big grungy era, and like Urge Overkill and Smashing Pumpkins and all that was, we're getting signed. And so we, we tried for a minute to be this big, loud rock band which was, to me, was a disaster. I was talking about artifice and music, and I just felt like this was, I'd be completely contrary to who I was. I mean, I like rock, but I like m maybe more sort of Stones kind of rock, you know, more sort of R&B-based, mm -hmm. or Neil Young and Crazy Horse, that kind of, like, raw, but has, like, an R&B thing going on. Anyway, mm -hmm. so, yeah trying to be loud that was a failure um and then we self-released an album that we recorded on a four track cassette machine um in 95 and that actually did really well like wxrt played that record um we cool. got in a bunch of critics lists that was really that was a really fun moment because we made it on a four-track cassette machine and then, you know, pressed CDs and uh, people liked it and it was kind of cool. Um, so we got uh, more, then because of that, it sort of spiraled. We did a South by Southwest show in 96 and there was a room full of A&R people. And uh, I from there, I don't... I. Nothing eventually came of it because I don't, I don't, I think they want, at that point, the music business was getting scared, I think, like they needed sure things. It was this kind of thing. We sat down with one of the labels and they were like, well, you know, unless you have this huge regional following all already developed, we have no interest. So it's not like in the olden days when they would nurture a band along and, and build a career. They wanted to sort of like pick a band that was already doing very well in regionally and then just kind of try to push it, give it a nudge up to national. And uh, then there was all this marketing. There was, you know, like the marketing departments of the record companies at that point were really running the labels. It wasn't about the A&R people. It was about the marketing. So they were like, well, who's the lead singer? They're like, well, there's two lead singers. I was like, well, you got to pick one or the other. It's like, well, we're not going to do that because we've always just been this way. You need to fit in the box. <laughs> it's exactly so. Yeah, it just it didn't it didn't work. Right. And then, how did you wind up uh, at the Old Town School of Folk Music? Oh, uh, that was quite a bit later. So I. I uh, I worked at a record store for all that time from the early 90s through the early 2000s. And then 
I always wanted to teach songwriting there, but um, they already had Ralph Covert was already doing that. He was the the songwriting teacher at the Old Town School, and they didn't need another one. So, but Ralph became a celebrity, uh, ch- children's music celebrity with the Ralph's World thing. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So my he, kids are the right age that I've yeah. Yeah, yeah. So he left the school to pursue that, and there was an opening, and uh, I talked to. I talked to Jimmy Tomasello, who was the the guy, and uh, he he put me in. And awesome. I've been doing guitar classes and songwriting classes, and I've been doing that since uh, 2004 or five, 2005. So, yeah, it's been a very long time now. Okay. Did, did you in, inherit a curriculum, or did you build no. something yourself? No. I made it up myself, although I think it's similar. I mean, I think Ralph gave prompts. I mean, it's not its not anything earth-shattering. It's just creative prompts to get people to try new approaches. Mm-hmm. Um, I inherited some of the students that he had had, so I definitely quizzed them. I said, so what, you know, what did you like about what Ralph did? Um, but it's mostly just trying to get people to be creative, trying to try new things and push themselves. And um, yeah, it's great. Love it. And how the book says, do you see it as unlocking the great songs inside you? Sure. That the- yeah. I'd say so. Especially with the fundamentals class. Like this, this book, um, this book starts out the assignments part. Um, are a lot of the assignments I give in the sort of intro to songwriting class, the class that's called Songwriting Fundamentals. So it's people that maybe have always wanted to write a song um, but never tried. So it's it's uh, that's the unlocking part. Like the idea that music is a part of our basic humanity and cr- also being creative is a part of being human. So music, music, and creativity are things that we're all born with. Um, so it's the unlocking is to basically saying, okay, you can do this. Here's some step-by-step ways to to consider um, getting in there and doing it. And, you know, it almost always works. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's that's a good ratio. So a good success ratio then. Uh, do you... Do you, your classes require a basic level of musicianship to 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 take? Not really. I mean, I've had people that don't play an instrument that that come in and sing a cappella. Um, you're seeing more and more people who create tracks, um, you know, in their laptop. So that aren't playing a guitar or a piano. They're just creating tracks and then making up songs to that, mm. making up melodies to go over their tracks. Um, so yeah, I, just this week I I did realize that I got a little ahead of myself because I was talking about chords. I was talking about things in sort of like a way 
that a few of the people in the class had no idea what I was talking about because I took some things for granted that that were understood. You know, and I I think it's because I've been doing the the more the class is called continuing songwriting where there are people that have been writing songs for quite a while that have a a fairly good knowledge of chords and keys and um, song structure and all that kind of stuff. And I, so terms are used, you know, like chord, like this, this young person didn't know what a chord progression, what that word meant, chord progression. And it's just something I say, well, that's a nice chord progression or that's, you know, so um, I'd clarify that, you know, so stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And now what, do you do you have a specific definition of what a song is? No, I mean that's a really good question and I have thought about it. Because song is a part of every culture on earth and it's a goes back to before certainly before any recorded sound but any written records of song since singing is a is a basic human thing, you know, I think people were probably singing things when they were doing cave drawings and stuff. We just don't have a record of it. So it's a I think at a at its most basic, it's a combination of words and words and music. To me, a song has words. Okay. So instrumental wouldn't an instrumentalist, you call it a tune or a composition or, um, you know, a song in my world is a, it has words. Okay. You know, I mean, I, you know, definitely terms are very fluid in the, in the sort of folk world of song, like right. the, what a, whatever a, a verse is, has, is a, a verse and a chorus over time, the definition of those terms have changed a lot. Um, but to me, a song has words. Okay. Do Does it require intention to be a song? Or, I mean... Oh, probably. Some intention, sure. Yes. I would say so. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, <laughs> it's like... I, it, I wonder, am I philosophizing too much? I, I, it's no, like it's, trying to grasp at something like transcendental or something spiritual that's floating in the ether. And well, it's not, not. It's not speech. It's not poetry. It's not. So you could kind of, by process of elimination, <laughs> there is an emotional. There's an emotional connection to song. Like there's a something having to do with combination of heart and head where you're you're emoting something. I mean, probably origins of song are spiritual in nature, like trying to connect with with gods or spirit. Or at least some there's something out there that is beyond me. Yes, and I can maybe grasp at or yeah, get in tune with. I well, don't know. you know, like if you say something, it's 
it's appealing or it, it, it has an effect. But when you sing that same thing, it has a deeper effect. You could, you know... So there's something about singing words that adds power and emotional power and context to the words. So mm -hmm. the, the two things together is very powerful. And, and, and to me, the most moving art form. Yeah. I, I was in the car with my son who was 15 uh, not too long ago, and I was grasping for common ground bands that uh, I could put on, and I wound up putting on Led Zeppelin Physical Graffiti, which we both like, and I was realizing I don't understand half of what Robert Plant is singing on there, yeah. Yeah. and it's hard to connect at the intellectual level and I don't know how intellectual Led Zeppelin really gets anyway, but but at the 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 music heart level, I mean it. I I just love it, you know. And, yeah, that is a fascinating part where you don't have to understand what the words mean for it to have the emotional connection. So that has something to do with the sound of a voice singing. And the intention, like you said, the intention behind it. Yeah, it's very... Same to me like with Radiohead, where I don't... Unless I read the lyrics, I often don't know what he's singing. Mm -hmm. Very, very impactful. Right. Yeah. And so, then, yeah, it's fascinating stuff. And I know... I mean, to get back to, to your music, where... You're, I'm just going to speak from being in a room where you're performing and just as a, as a side, you, you have such command and you're so mesmerizing. I'm, I'm on the edge of my seat. It's like you're constructing this whole world and inviting everybody who's in the audience in, and it's so intimate and you that I've I've only I've only seen you solo acoustics. So I haven't seen you in the full band setting, so I I I can't contrast it. But it's it's just it's it's marvelous. I mean, because you know, talking talking about the song, but you're you know, it it builds with like in a performance. It's yeah. now the, the song is coming alive in a, in a unique way, and uh, I mean, it, it, you've got. You're you're so talented and gifted that you you you're you're building the layers because you need the the song to be good for the performance to work. So you've got all the pieces. So that's where I, I coming back. It's it's a it's a thrill to talk to you because you are you're so gifted at at, at building this uh this this world, you know. And I don't. And does that make sense of like building a world in a, in a performance? Sure, sure. Yes. No, I appreciate you saying that a lot because that's something I've definitely tried to do. Like, um, I think to me, Nina Simone is the person who does that the best. If you watch Nina Simone live performance videos it's just completely mesmerizing and enthralling and she's just like um but it's not like i 
listened to listen to her or even had access to videos of her growing up. Um, but I did listen to uh, Van Morrison a lot. Who goes there? Not yeah. always, but often. And I think that was to me that was the inroad into like oh this this passion. But um, but soul singing and like when I was in college, I got way into soul music and and actually when I worked at the record store, um, and that's a big part of soul music. That's just sort of like that, just kind of the deal. You mm. you go a hundred percent all in. Give it a you know give every every drop of your power to the song. Um, and gospel singing, I got way into gospel music, um, like the staple singers and the swan silver tones and um, that kind of stuff too, which is, well, it comes out of the black church, that full, full commitment. And again, back to spirit, like trying to connect with spirit. Mm-hmm. So I think, you know, it's all, it's all connected. And that's yeah. I mean, Van Morrison. I think in, there's a there's a Celtic tradition that also has that passion and that devotion to sort of finding the finding the heart of or approaching the muse or something like that. It's like <laughs> pursuing the muse. Right, right. Um, so there it's there's similar similar pathways um, in America. The you know, the the Black church is the is the source of that, I guess. But um, yeah, so that's that's all. I've definitely been trying to do to figure that out and work toward that because mm-hmm. that's the music I love the most. So it's like I want to try again. It's like trying to figure out songwriting and trying to figure out how to sing the way those people do. How to do? How do they do that? Some people mm-hmm. it comes naturally. And some people have to really work at it. I think I'm in the latter category. I think most of us are. Yeah. <laughs> but someone like like maybe that's where Sam Cook got, where he was able to just like when he came yeah. out of that gospel tradition. Oh, 100%. And then when he when he turned to R and B, it was just like boom, it was there. He you had know, a, but he was a he was a bona fide celebrity in the church. And you know, I was touring was it the soldiers? Yeah. Was that it was, yeah, it was a phenom. So, yeah, for him to just then take that and become a pop star, but taking all that, all that that he learned and experienced in the church, it was just like, yeah, you could feel it. Yeah, it was. It was a come to Jesus moment without <laughs> Jesus. Yeah. Oh, well, that's awesome. Where, um. Your your last record was at the bottom of a canyon in the branches of a tree. Yep, it's a it's a great great album. It was uh, uh, what, was that twenty twenty two twenty one twenty one twenty twenty one yes. Okay, so that it's was all- was that like a <laughs> was that like a COVID project for you? Well, it started before that. Um, I had been working on it for a year or so pre-pandemic, but during the pandemic, I, um, yeah, I got even more obsessive with it. And 
did all the final tracking and mixing because the studio's just out of back. So I could just go out. I didn't have to go anywhere to, to record. Okay. Um, so yeah, it's kind of, it was, it was, a lot of it was a lot of the basics of it and the track, a lot of the initial tracking was done pre pandemic, but the, it definitely sort of came to fruition during that time. Okay. So if, can we take like a song, say like the first track is, uh, this is all there is. Yeah. Uh, can you walk through, um, how, how it just started as a, as a twinkle in your eye and became the song it became? I wonder if I have an initial demo of that. Some songs like the creation of them is really clear and others, I, it's not as clear. And you've written so many songs, I, I would imagine it can be fuzzy to Let's see go into, uh, to look and discriminate between the, the genesis of different songs. Um, so I do believe, so prior to the pandemic, I've, do you know Jenny Benjamin? Yeah. yeah. She's a friend of mine, songwriter, sweetheart. Um, she and I conceived of a, a group that would get together monthly was the plan and, uh, we'd have to present a new song and it wasn't, um, to be critiqued so much as just to like have a, have a group of people we liked that would get together and sing new songs at each other and say like, yeah, good job. Mm -hmm. Um, so that a lot of the songs on that record are from forcing myself to write songs so I would have something for that group. Um, so I probably wrote that song very quickly. I don't remember too much about what I was thinking other than I mean, there's a lot in my songs, there's a lot about mortality. <laughs> there's a lot about passage of time. Um, trying, there's a lot about trying to convince myself to enjoy, uh, enjoy the moment. So, and I do that. The, the first line is like, it's not going to be all right, which is I, I get tired of, it's the phrase that people say, like, eh, it's all going to be, it's going to be all right. And right, in a lot of specific. cases, it's going to be all right. Everything's going to be fine. It's like, is it, though? Maybe I used to think that, but I don't know that I think that anymore. And I think a lot of this is maybe the post-Trump world where um, I lost a lot of faith in in human beings in human yeah, humans ability to do the right thing or to even see right from wrong or, or, uh, that we're in all in this together or that in the, in the long run, people will, uh, will actually come together and look out for each other. I think I used to believe that. And I think I don't believe that anymore. 
So, which is awful. Mm -hmm. Maybe in smaller groups of people, that's true. In smaller knit communities, families, or closer, like groups of friends, that's probably still true. But in a, in a larger context, I don't think that's true. Yeah, it's a very uh, valid question with the way the world is moving. Yeah, I know. So that's so, where that came from. It's like, it's going to be all right. Well, maybe it's not. It's yeah. not going to be all right. Right. Was the thought, it's not going to be all right. So what are you going to do about it? How are you going to handle this new information that it's not all fine? Mm -hmm. um, so then it's more or less from there, it's just a list of things that are worth existing for. So some of them are very simple, um, but I can't remember what they are, so I have to pull the lyrics up. <laughs> do you do that with songs where I can't remember the words to a song unless I'm actually singing it? Y yes, yes. But in, in context, I can remember all like, the words. It, uh, yeah, it can f one line can flow to the next. Yeah. But to jump around gets very confusing. <laughs> or it's out of context or something. Mm. I'm going to pull up the words. Maybe yeah. the emotional bed of the music helps as well. Oh, totally. Um, I do remember in that song, let's see. It's like... So it's in A, but it starts on a C-sharp minor. Then it goes to an E with a B bass note. So a lot of my songs... Bass notes dictate the next chord. Like I'm trying to think in terms of, so the bass goes uh, C sharp, B, A, but the chords go C sharp, E, A, which is interesting to me. So you go, it's not Then it's an F sharp minor. What are you gonna do about it? Oh my, I'm sorry, I'm in drop D. I thought that was kind of cool. It's F sharp minor, and then the, the chord stays the same, and the bass note goes down to E. Cool. So it's not going to be all right. What are you going to do about it? Get back in bed and turn out the light. Try not to think about it. And then D for the chorus. This is all there is, my friend. A moment to feel the turning of the moon. So that's something. Mm. Uh, fingers caressing your head. Uh, or something like that. See, and this is why I need to... I haven't played these songs in a while, so now I'm here. Oh, time, time. Put you on the spot. Yeah. The song stuck in your head. The secrets hidden in the hollow of your bones. It goes to a two major. I like that song. That sound. Decades float by. Passage of time. Half awake, half holding on. One outrage at a time. I remember liking that line. <laughs> 
Look around, another one's gone. Mm. And this is all there is, my friend. Tree to tree, searching for food. Okay, so I happen to really like that line. That <laughs> That's based on um, my wife and I go to this super, super remote place in Costa Rica. Um, we've gone a bunch of times. We love it so much. With and the holler monkeys and stuff? What's that? With holler monkeys and stuff? Yeah. But so uh, where we go, there's all these scarlet macaws. Mm. They're traveling groups, like they're couples. And they spend every day just going from tree to tree to tree to tree looking for food. And then that's the same thing the monkeys do. And then that's the same thing that, like all these critters, all these animals that's their life mm. just like traveling tree to tree looking for food and it's just like that, that what a basic just survival it's survival and they're not thinking about the past or the future or you know their hopes and dreams they're just doing this thing they're going they're like so i don't know to me i really i liked that line a lot to me that's mm-hmm. the line in the song and um it just kind of goes by, and I, uh, anyway, so it's like this is all there is for tree to tree searching for food, fingers caressing your head, the sound of laughter lighting up the room. So yeah, I don't yeah, remember. I don't remember specifically the process of writing this one that much, which I think is what you asked. But I, I'm afraid I don't remember it that that was that's an incredible deep dive there well worth (laughs) the journey it just was that something where you had the chords first or did you have the idea of what you were going for in in a in that's what i don't remember i i have a feeling at all they both came at the same time like probably that line uh, it's not gonna be all right is probably the first thing that happened Mm-hmm. And that's just picking up the guitar, playing a chord. I like that chord. And then just seeing where it goes from there. Mm-hmm. There's this great Paul Simon interview where he talks about, as the writer, he likes the exploration. He likes the freedom of the exploration and just sort of seeing where it's going to go so he doesn't plan anything out. He just, it's like, well, let's see. And he likes to sort of entertain himself in the process. So it kind of, I like that idea. Mm-hmm. It's it, not planned. It just as it as it goes, and kind of like, oh, I wonder what this will do. Oh, this is no, I don't really like that that direction. Let's uh, let's see if we can veer it over here. There was there was a funny line in the book, "Take It to the Bridge," where you, I believe, you said something about distrusting uh, the cleverness of people who have the lyrics first. <laughs> like you prefer the soulfulness of the music being the impetus for the words. Oh wow! Um, well, those conversations were like ten years ago. I'm probably I keep putting you on the spot with I'm probably less conver- less uh, judgmental now. No, no, it, it was not. It, it wasn't a judgmental thing. It was more of a funny quip because you did you, you talked about you've done both approaches words yeah, yeah, yeah. first versus uh music first 
But then to just to be a button on that topic. Yeah. Well, just... it's something more about, um, again, it goes back to the artifice thing. It's about being clever. I, I really uh, appreciate like Tom Lehrer and people that are like, or um, people that are very clever and very smart and very witty. I appreciate that, but I'm not that. I mean, I, mm -hmm. I have a good sense of humor, but it's not, I'm not, I don't think along those lines really. I'm happy when I get a witty line, but it's not. Anyway, so for me, I just don't, I don't relate too much. I mean, I'll listen to Tom Lehrer and go, wow, that guy's a genius. That's really funny. But it's not, it doesn't move me. It's right. A, it's a purely intellectual experience. You're right. It's it's not going to make your top five album list just to be witty because you're not going to come back to that over and over again like something that... Yeah. But some people, that is their favorite. They love that. That's their favorite music. Yeah. Um. So, and that's fine. But for me, I think that's what I was talking about, the distrust thing. And like just... Distrust is such a weird word to have chosen, but I guess that's just the way it happened. Um, <laughs> uh, it's just it doesn't resonate the same way. So, I, yeah, I have, I have, well, what I'll do, though, is when I do come across a good lyric, sometimes the song isn't good, but the lyric is good. So I'll take the whole lyric and I'll cast it in a completely different musical setting. I've done that ha oh, quite a few times, actually. There's a song on the newer record called 22 Rubber Bands that um, went through a bunch of different musical beds, and then it landed where it is now, and it finally feels right. It never quite felt right. So that's something. There is. You put out a really cool YouTube video where you walk through... Um, the production side. Oh yeah, with uh, it, which I I, I just it, it's fascinating to see someone who is as talented as yourself sharing like the those foundational bricks of oh, how cool. you, the process of production. I love that because I always think like you start with a click track and you then you know the drums and then the bass and the but you you started from like strumming guitar right when when it came to the production i think you, you were like and i'm like how do you stay, how are you staying in time i mean i guess you're good enough that you you know you're able to stay in time but it's it was it was just awesome to to see that and to have that reshape my whole vision of how recording should happen so so thank you yeah. for that. That was fun. Yeah, that was super fun to do. I should have done more of those, but I don't know. I don't have time, but I should, I guess. I know. There's just not yeah. all the things we should do yeah. and what actually happens. But there is a there's a rabid audience out there when you share those those nuggets, those gems. Hmm. So like stepping through that song just now was just awesome to to see and hear. So Oh cool. But uh, so, before we uh, we'll we'll be wrapping it up in a couple minutes. But I just want to touch a little bit on 
when you write songs for your, you mentioned Funeral Bonsai Wedding, which mm-hmm. is more, uh, it has a a unique uh, setup as a band, right? Because you, you've got vibraphone. Is it vibraphone or yeah. xylophone? Yeah, is that the song? And then vibraphone is a xylophone that has electronics. It has like a, almost like a Leslie speaker thing that each, it has mm. a spinning thing so that it has, you know, it can get the wah, wah, wah. The swirl, yeah. Yeah. Okay, so, it, and then drums and bass. Is, are you composing for those instruments in mind when you write the funeral bonsai wedding songs? Sort. Some, yes, and some were just songs that were around. That Ezra Pound song that opens the first uh, funeral bonsai wedding, that one absolutely was written with that band in mind. I I visualized the impact of that band playing something that sounded like that, like a 6-8 thing that had these bursts of energy, sort of almost like a call and response to the vocal. So that's like, hours and hours, band. Why? And then another line, then the so that the the vocal and the band are like bouncing off each other and having those um, those musicians with that sort of explosive, vibrant feeling doing it, but not not in a rock way. In a between Frank Rosalie, the drummer, and Shevitz, the vibraphonist, and Jason Redkey, there was just this. It's kind of a wall of sound in a, in a really a non-rock kind of wall of sound. That's really, yeah, that's really it's powerful, it, and it's it's like being in the center of a hurricane to be up there with playing with them. It's it's incredible. Nice, yeah, and it's such a it's it's really refreshing because it's it's a unique uh, mixture of of instruments. Yeah, some people were not fans because I think they're not fans of vibraphone. So they're like, uh, there's too much, too much bells was what somebody said. And I was like, well, I mean, okay, you just, you're not the audience for this record then. Right. Right. There's, you can't please all the people all the time. Right. Yeah. So, okay. Yeah. All right. Well, Steve, I see we're, we're approaching the, the end time here. And I'm like, it's been such a pleasure to talk to you about music and get closer to making sense of that spiritual thing that we're all chasing. Yeah. Um, well, thanks so much for, uh, for inviting me to do it. Yes. And, uh, what's, what's before we sign off, what, what's next for you? What's coming up? Are, is there another, uh, album in the works? Yeah, yeah, I have a new record that's basically, it's all tracked. It needs to be mixed and mastered and, uh, hopefully it'll come out, uh, in the first part of next year. Excellent. Is that going to be on Pravda again? I hope so. I think so. Okay. It's not Great. certain yet, but I hope so. Excellent. All right. Well, thank you, Steve. We'll uh, we'll catch up with you sometime down the road. All so right. thank you. Thank you.